0: The one constant through all the years, Ray,
1: has been Beyond the game
0: The most well-known, the best-looking, the best-dressed
1: It's a faith-based sports radio program
2: We would be honored if you would join us
3: The ladies are digging less sweet bass. I also
2: really don't care
3: No, I'm saying I could have done with speed does because I do that every time I golf Are you really that ignorant?
1: Yeah You guys are so young and stupid Get ready Here we go Good morning and thanks for joining us. Welcome to another edition of the Beyond the Game program. Beyond the Game is brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions, townandcountrysolutions.com. You can call Town & Country at 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. Town & Country Pest Solutions, fearing nothing but God. I'm Rick Benson and joining me are those guys. Darren Metzger is here, as is Zach Barletta. The website is btgprogram.com and our social media handle is at btgprogram. The studio line is 585-431-1202 and we welcome your comments anytime on anything you hear on our show. So one more time, that's 585-431-1202. Let's get the thing rolling and where else should we start but with Tim Tebow. The New York Mets signed Tim Tebow to a minor league contract, and he'll begin his professional baseball career in the Instructional League with their team in Port St. Lucie, Florida. And good for the Atlanta Braves, by the way, who baited the Mets into making a panic move after they floated the idea that they were interested in signing the former Heisman Trophy-winning quarterback. You know, laugh all you want at the prospect of a 29-year-old Tebow playing baseball, but last week, Major League Baseball teams took it seriously enough to have almost 50 different scouts representing all but two of the Major League teams. Tebow has had more of his, more than his fair share of detractors and doubters, but the New York Mets are going to give him a shot. And why not? What do they have to lose? Even though the Braves said that if they had signed Tebow, it would not be to generate ticket sales, but let's face it, <laughs> that's going to happen. I'm sort of curious how many Tebow Mets jerseys have already been sold. There have been a number of reports that have said players will resent Tebow because he's getting an opportunity only because of his notoriety. And that may be somewhat true, but all of his notoriety. All it does is get him an opportunity to be looked at. It does nothing more than get someone to the to, to come to the door to see who's knocking. It doesn't open the door, and unless he performs, he won't be kept around because of his notoriety. But if he does perform, and if he can help a team win, I know this about professional athletes. If you can help the team, you're going to have their support. Now, obviously, at 29 years old, and having not played since high school— You'd think that the odds are probably stacked against him, but I'm all for giving him the opportunity to find out he's not getting something somebody else could not have gotten as well. Yes, I suppose he had an advantage to hold a private workout where every team came to him, but that's because he'd already displayed enough raw athletic talent, enough to pique the interest of 28 professional baseball teams, yet many people just want to see him fail. They seem to take pleasure in it. Why? Why would a guy like Tim Tebow have so many haters? He's not been implicated in any PED scandal. He's not been named in any disgraceful paternity suit or has faced any domestic violence or drug charges. His biggest crime is that he's outspoken about Jesus. So many want to talk about tolerance and freedom of speech, but let's be real, that's not what they really want. What they want is conformity to their own way of thinking. I had a guy in sports media tell me—I won't mention his name—but you'd recognize him if you're familiar with sports coverage in Western New York. He said Tebow turns him off because he doesn't answer the questions; he just spins it and talks about Jesus. And at first, I sort of—I sort of understood where he's coming from. It was a perspective I hadn't considered before—that of someone assigned to cover him for the media. But the more I think about it, I, that's absurd. That's ridiculous. I think it's just a justification to hate on Tebow, and it's a cop-out. I've heard a number of interviews, and near as I can tell, Tebow always answers the questions. Now, he's going to bring up Jesus every time he can, and frankly, I admire him for that. More of us should be doing that in our regular walks of life. Let's be honest enough. You know, be honest with me. Be honest with yourself. Admit why you really don't like him, and what you don't like is Jesus. Jesus. For many people, if they end up talking too long about Jesus, underneath it all, they're worried it'll eventually come to a place where they're confronted with their sin. So consequently, they hate conversations that include Jesus. John 15, 18, and 19 says, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. I'm not sure Tim Tebow will ever make a major league roster, but I hope he does. He's not being given an unfair advantage. Many, if not most, teams hold open tryouts. If you really want, you could try out for a team. Of course, you risk failing, and it's probably easier to sit on your couch and complain about how other people are doing. You may not get all the teams to come to you, but so what? Figure out how to make yourself stand out. That is the only advantage that he's been given, and he earned that himself just like he will have to earn everything else if he wants to advance up the ranks and eventually crack the lineup with the New York Mets. I wanted to avoid talking about the national anthem stuff. I really did. I felt like we discussed it last week, and I was like many other people who disagreed with the disrespectful, misguided protests. Yeah, you have a right to protest. But disrespecting a symbol of this great nation is just the wrong way to go about it. They wanted to bring attention to the persecution of black people. Has has it done that? I don't think so. It's become a conversation of an individual's rights and a conversation about is what is respectful or disrespectful. Frankly, I think we have a generation of people who didn't grow up reciting the pledge to the American flag in school and who've seen the majority of the televised sporting events opt for extra commercial time as opposed to actually airing the National Anthem, that is, unless it's a big game or something special. So why would I expect this group of people to find that not standing for the flag to not be disrespectful? They're completely ignorant of the matter. Now, I didn't say they were stupid. I said they lack necessary knowledge of the situation. They haven't been taught. They haven't been taught right from wrong. And while I tried to avoid talking about, about the subject anymore... I can't help it, especially after what Seattle Reigns soccer player Megan Rapino had to say after the Washington Spirit anticipated her protest of the flag and denied her the opportunity. If you're not familiar, the Spirit are owned by a gentleman who's a veteran, and they said in a statement he's lost friends in overseas conflicts. He's had lost had his close friends lose friends in overseas conflicts. Therefore they decided to play the anthem after the teams completed warmups, but before those teams came back onto the field. The team said they did this, quote, rather than subject our fans and friends to the disrespect we feel such an act would represent. Now there's no doubt this is a little tit for tat here. I'm I'm not sure that playing the anthem with teams not on the field is any less disrespectful than having players kneel or sit during it. But you know what? They didn't allow Rapino to hijack the spotlight. After the match Rapino who was Perhaps a little embarrassed that she was one up and denied her moment. She said she was saddened by the spirit's move, calling it blank unbelievable. She says, I think it was incredibly distasteful to say that I, four days before one of the worst tragedies we've had in our country, hijacked this event, obviously referring to the commemoration of 9-11. This is the ridiculousness of it all. Here she is, a player for the U.S. national team, currently playing for the Seattle Reigns. So to be clear, she hasn't yet protested the anthem while playing for the national team. But here she is saying that denying her an opportunity to protest our country's flag and anthem is especially distasteful because 9-11 is sensitive to our country. That just comes across so hypocritical to Mm -hmm. me. I'm sorry, but I just think that statement is ignorant. I can't believe a clear-thinking person would say such a foolish thing. That is, unless they were being defensive because they were a bit embarrassed. Now, of course, the journalists looking for a, sto- a story where there really isn't one, they baited Rapino, who was gay, by asking her if perhaps she thought the spirit's action had homophobic undertones. And rather than deflecting the question and taking it for what it is, the team just wanting to not let her upstage the anthem, predictably she takes a bait, plays a gay card and says, indeed, it was because she's gay. She says, quote, "Uh, she's had conversations with spirit players current and past. The fact that they don't have a pride night, I think they've made it pretty clear, at least internally, that's not something they're interested in. The spirit don't have a pride night, so they must be anti-gay? I don't know that they have a faith night, so does that mean they're anti-people of faith? They probably don't have a Chinese food night, so does that mean they're anti people who like chinese food nobody could be anti chinese food right i like what team usa hockey coach john tortorella said any of my players sit on the bench for the national anthem they will sit there the rest of the game now i do wish she had said that uh, clarified that if that if they did that as a member of usa hockey they can stay on the bench and like with rapino if she wants to protest the flag the anthem or even the country as a member of the seattle rain well then i guess that's up to her and of course the rain But it comes off as nothing more than hypocrisy when she does such things as a member of USA women's soccer, wearing the USA uniform, complete with the flags and the colors. If she wanted the message to be stronger, then walk away from that team. Let everyone know that you can't play for a team that represents a country who oppresses black people, gay people, redheaded people, whatever. Turn down the corporate sponsors, the endorsement deals, and the paycheck that comes with being part of the team, which represents the evils of this great United States of America. Now, somehow, I think we'll be waiting a while before that happens, because people are usually willing to make their stand right up to that point where it gets uncomfortable or expensive.
3: I've had my say, fellas. Your thoughts? I actually think you just hit the nail on the head, starting with Rapino here. You said when it starts getting expensive, people don't really want to do it. Most people. It started with Kaepernick with the inaction of just sitting down. It's a, it's, to me, that was not only a disrespectful protest; it was a lazy protest. It was a thoughtless protest. Instead of actually taking action and doing something about, you know, the the travesties you see and you perceive in America. You just you took the inaction of sitting down and that's what probably annoyed me the most about the whole thing.
2: I agree with both of the things you said. Going back to the Tebow thing, like nobody's gonna resent him because he has a showcase, because every international player that gets signed to this country has a showcase first. Nobody signs anybody silently. So he's got only got the same opportunity that every Cuban player, every Latino or Asian player has ever had. So that's not a big deal in my book. The The Megan Rapinoe thing actually I think is worse than the Kaepernick thing. It bothers me more because this is somebody – the only reason we even know who Megan Rapinoe is is because she represented the United States of America in international play. If she hadn't – nobody knows the names of women soccer players. I'm sorry, but that's just the way that it is unless right. you're the best of the best like Mia Hamm or whatever. If, Unless
1: you play on that women's national team. Exactly. If you're just on, a, yeah. on, one of, on the Seattle Reign or one of the other professional teams, yeah, no, you're not know. this whole country know who
2: rallied behind her and her teammates when they represented us at international play. And now it turns out she doesn't actually represent us at all. So good luck fading into anonymity, Megan rapino we got a lot more coming up for you today in the program.
1: I do hope you'll stick around, spend some time with us. We're going to talk college football with Tim Hiller of Next Level Performance. We'll also talk with Sarah McClellan. She's the women's head soccer coach at Roberts Wesleyan College. Plus, we'll cover a few topics during our shenanigans segment. This is the Beyond the Game program brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. All right, let me talk to you about something important. Let's face it, sometimes life hurts and it can be especially painful for young people. But thankfully, God heals. Hope Church in Greece is offering a 12-week program called Life Hurts, God Heals. This program is intended to help students who are dealing with painful struggles due to such things as divorce, depression, addictions, eating disorders, abuse, self-injury, and more. Hundreds of students from the ages of 12 to 22 have been given tools to help overcome life's difficulties through this program, and many lives have been changed. Life Hurts, God Heals is offered on Sundays from 1 p.m. to 2.30 p.m. and is absolutely free of charge. Hope Church is located at 1301 Vintage Lane in Greece. For more information, please visit the church's website, sharethehope.org, or call the church office at 585-723-4673. That's 585-723-4673, and ask for Jill
3: title sponsor beyond the game is town and country pest solutions and they have been for the two plus years the show has been on the air but that is nothing compared to the nearly 30 years of renting your homes and businesses of unwelcome pests and i'm not just here reading a commercial script for them i am a happy and satisfied customer they have taken care of a mouse B, ant, and even fly problem for me. Yes, my house is old and falling apart, and I get all sorts of critters, but unlike swimmers not named Michael Phelps, they have an answer to beat their competition and rid your home of pest problems. They are a gold medal caliber company. Was that lame? Yes, I admit it. And I kind of hate myself for saying it, but I don't hate myself for calling Town and Country Pest Solutions. They really are the best, and they guarantee their work. Did I mention they're the best? So save yourself more of a headache and money and call them first. Don't waste your time on other companies. Town & Country will do it right the first time every time. So give them a call today at 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. One more time because someone decided that 3 is the magic number, 585-426-5024. Or visit them online at townandcountrysolutions.com. Town & Country Pest Solutions. They fear nothing but God.
1: want to welcome you back into the program beyond the game brought to you by town and country pest solutions at btg program or btgprogram.com tim hiller is a former nfl quarterback he's also co-owner of next level performance and the author of the book strive life is short pursue what matters it's my pleasure now to welcome tim back into the program tim i'm so glad you could join us
0: hi rick thanks for the opportunity
1: Last weekend was just, I mean, it was billed as the greatest opening weekend ever, and it it certainly didn't disappoint. A number of upsets, LSU, UCLA, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, all going down in week one. And I can't leave out Northwestern, who, of course, lost to your alma mater, Western Michigan. Were any of those upsets more or less surprising to you than the others?
0: You know, first of all, you're right. It was such an amazing, probably the best I can remember in the last, you know, five, six, seven years uh, opening weekend. And, you know, I think one of the things that we're seeing here is just some of the parity in college football and some of the, the the talent that is all around the country and the ability, you know, to recruit. I mean, playing at a Mac school like Western, um, I think where you see the difference between, you know, like a Michigan, a Michigan State, a Notre Dame, and a Western is really when you look at, like, the second and third string and the consistency of talent that those bigger programs are able to have from top to bottom. But you look at first string to first string, really across the country, there's a lot of, of um, you know, even talent across the board. I think for me, probably the biggest surprise uh, of all those games you mentioned was, was probably the LSU game. Um, not that Wisconsin can't play with them, and boy, they certainly were rewarded in the rankings this week as, as they moved up drastically. But um, you know, Paul Crisp is a great offensive mind. I've always been impressed with him from afar and uh, loved his offense and the things that he, he does. But just a disciplined, steady run game strong defense and then forcing you know lsu with an inexperienced quarterback to make some mistakes and uh they really stuck to their guns and played very well so i think that was a surprise to me i kind of figured it would be a track meet and leonard fournette would really take off um but you, you, you see slow and steady win the race and they really um played their brand of football and stuck to it and it paid off
1: for those teams like lsu oklahoma or notre dame who may have all been entertaining thoughts of a national championship does a week one loss completely take them out of contention?
0: You know, I think it's an interesting question. I think it's honestly, if you're going to lose a game, I think what better week to lose it than week, in week one against a strong opponent? I mean, you look at like a, a Notre Dame, for example. And, you know, Brian Kelly's a great coach. When I was in college, we had the opportunity to, to play against him when he was at Central Michigan and then again in a bowl game when he was at Cincinnati, um, as he was kind of on his coaching climb. And you look at a team like that, they're going to be great. They're going to bounce back. I think Kaiser looked really really strong throughout the whole game. Their defense, you know, had moments of of brilliance and moments of struggle. But if if you look at a team like Notre Dame, I mean, this is a win, a a loss that really they can bounce back from with some wins in the coming weeks. I've got some tough games ahead of them, but if they do it here early on with a couple of their next opponents, I mean, they'll be right back in the the hunt towards the end of the year. And so I think, you know, if you're going to do it and and you're going to lose a game, um, what better timing than to do it early in the year, get your ducks in a row, get back on track. So I don't think it totally removes you, um, but for these – schools and power you know power five conferences they've really got to get back on track uh in the league and so lsu for example has to win some games in the sec i think prove themselves again
1: i'll bring it up now i know it's if the season's barely underway if an early season loss does impact the team's chances at a title how do you keep those teams in contention longer i mean that's why they came up with the wild card in baseball wouldn't an expanded playoff system do just that
0: you know, I think it would. I mean, it's it's an interesting question. You know, I, I tend to look at it more from the player's uh, point of view, not necessarily, you know, an athletic director's point of view or a journalist's point of view. But if, if you look at it from the player's point of view, the only concern I have is that you begin to look at the wear and tear and the length of the season. I mean, in, in the NFL, you're looking at a 16-game season plus four preseason games, you know, that a, a starting, you know, star player is going to play in two and a half to maybe three of those games. And then you look at a playoff run. I mean, you can easily play um, – 20, 22 games, and that's a long season. And so when you begin to look at the college football season, of course we don't have any any preseason, but you know, you play that 12-game season, a conference championship, and then a few more playoff games, and, and all of a sudden you're knocking on the door 16, 17 games. So I think there's there's caution that needs to be exercised in terms of um, wear and tear on these players' bodies and, and all the things that they're going to you know, be put through. But in the same breath, I do think the expanded playoff would allow um, more teams to have the opportunity to – Really play for what they deserve. I mean, quite frankly, how do you how do you narrow it to four? I mean, last year, um, those those fifth, sixth, seventh teams, those on the bubble, um, where every bit is deserving, it's, it's just really hard to to, to pick the, the best, you know, four teams in the country. I think last year the the committee got it right. I think last year it went really well. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next couple of years. But I, I definitely think you could maybe see that field expand in the next couple of years to to eight um, or maybe even sixteen.
1: I've always thought eight was the right number. You know, there's so often teams that finish ranked fifth or sixth or seventh that maybe have a have a you know, an outside claim to that that number one spot. But by the time you get down to nine or ten or even eleven, these are schools that usually don't have that that claim of a number one.
0: Sure, and I think you have to look a lot at, you know, some of the things you mentioned, I think uh, you know, certainly being in the hunt for a conference title or winning, you know, the east or west or north or south division of a conference. Um, certainly, looking at strength of schedule and strength against um, some of the Power Five conferences, and and then also looking at strength of non-league schedule. I think that if you look across some of these um, SEC schools and some of the non-league games that they're playing, I mean, you know, Alabama showed their dominance, but against a team in USC that, that frankly will make some noise and, and be pretty good this year, even though they're they had their share of challenges um, over the weekend. So I think that. You're you're really absolutely right, Rick. You're spot on. I think that, that teams can be rewarded in a number of ways. But I think if you look at the whole picture of the body of work, who they played, and, and um, their performance over the course of the year, I think there is grounds over the next couple of years to maybe expand that, that field to eight and see what happens.
1: You know, you brought up Alabama, and they won big, as did Ohio State and Michigan. Meanwhile, other teams like Tennessee, Clemson, Florida State, they sort of squeaked by. Can we read anything into that? Teams that won by large margins or these teams that barely pulled it out?
0: You know, it's a good question. I think that um, certainly those teams that won big, like you, you referenced, um, especially I think Alabama's win was incredibly impressive, just the, the dominance on both sides of the ball. Um, Ohio State looked strong as well. Started a little slow, but then really picked up steam in their offense, and T.J. Barrett looked great. I think you look at wins like that, and certainly um, they put up some style points. But, you know, having, again, I, I divert back to the player's perspective, it, it's hard to win in college football. It's hard to win consistently. A lot of times early in the season, the defense is ahead of the offense. Uh, a lot of these teams perform better on the defensive side of the ball, where the offense, you, know, you have a great quarterback, but you're breaking in a couple of young linemen, you're breaking in a new wideout, new running back, and you see you see glimpses of, of um, what can be and their full potential, and then you see glimpses of a young young player's mistake uh, early on in a game. And so I think that at this point in the year, um, I don't think it's time to ever hit the panic button yet. If a team squeaks by, I think a win is a win. Um, certainly, you can go back to the drawing board and, and work on some things and feel better about the next week and have that next opportunity, but um, I I don't read into it too much, no.
1: We're talking with Tim Hiller of Next Level Performance. He's also author of the book Strive. You can follow Tim on Twitter at TimHiller3 or online TimHiller.com. You know, looking over the landscape of college football, and you mentioned how dominant Alabama's win was, is it really Alabama and then everybody else?
0: (laughs) It's a great question. You know, I think what I admire the most about Alabama is just their their sticking to a strategy. I mean, Nick Saban has built a brand of football that's all his own, and it's really centered on speed, toughness, and physicality, playing great defense, and having a solid run game. And you look at, you know, Kirby Smart going to Georgia and having some new coordinators on both sides of the ball over the last few years, and they still pick up and, and continue on, even if they're running a different offensive system. And it's because of those four pillars of again that speed that physicality that great defense and having a strong running game that really sets the foundation of their offense um they have success and they recruit to that strategy regardless of who's calling the plays and it really you know begins with nick saban so i I think if you look at the big picture is it alabama and everybody else i wouldn't go so far to say that i think i think they're a darn good team i think right now they really are the best and most well-rounded team in the country it'll be really interesting to see how that um holds up as they get into the sec schedule and and play and conference play but um I really think there are some other impressive teams out there, but I think those are really winning formulas. You know, I I look at um, Clemson, great great team, great program, had a tremendous run last year. Deshaun Watson is one of the best and most dynamic athletes in the game. Um, it's a little bit more of a finesse style, and you know, I, I'm a little partial, a little biased. I grew up in the Midwest. I, I love um, I love the MAC certainly. I played in it, but I, I love the Big Ten as well. And there's something to be said for a strong run game uh, that can be downhill, hard nosed, um, set up the play action pass, and Alabama does that really well. And in, in today's you know spread era, um, we don't see as many teams doing that as well, and so I think that's where schools like uh, you know we looked at Wisconsin and we saw how physical their run game was. I mean that wins games and it wears down good defenses, and so I think that Alabama's onto something special. I don't think it's a, you know them ahead of the pack and everybody else, but I do think right now they they look like team to beat.
1: You certainly um, are able to identify winning formulas you mentioned that Alabama has with next level performance. You train student athletes while teaching and developing leadership skills to help them succeed at really whatever it is they're called to do. You wrote a piece the other day, which can be found on your website. Again, that's timhiller.com. From the opening weekend of college football, you were able to pull out some examples of leadership lessons. How about that, Tim? Can you share some of what you wrote about?
0: Absolutely. No, I uh, I felt really inspired coming away from you. I love to write. You mentioned the book and, and do a lot of speaking. and At Next Level, we, we train athletes on the field, but a devoted portion of every training session or team session uh, is that leadership and character piece. And so I was really... Uh, blown away by kind of the three P's of leadership that I think are really important. And, and those are patience, persistence, and then presence. And and I really was inspired by three stories over the weekend that, um, you know, tied into each of those. And so the first one around patience um, was, was with Tyrone Slopes and, uh, you know, or Tyrone Swoops, excuse me. And Tyrone, of course, the, you know, former starting quarterback at, at Texas. And you think about um, a guy like that has been a program guy heading into his last year, um, has his job taken away by a freshman and Shane Bruchel, who looked amazing and, and played really well, showed a ton of poise, and yet this guy just you know patiently waits his turn as a team guy, never thought about transferring, and, and runs for two sets or three touchdowns actually, I and mean, including the game winner uh, in double overtime, and just just a great story of of, of patience and perseverance there. Um, you know, around persistence, um, had to call out uh, the the star running back from Pittsburgh, um, uh, James Conner, who really. You know, has, has been a model of, of persistence and, and just overcoming the odds. You know, early on had a great start to his career as a freshman. As a sophomore, was a first team All American. I think the first in over 25 years since Ironhead Haywood at, at, at Pittsburgh. And just had a stellar uh, first couple years. And then he opening game of the 2015 season as a junior tears his MCL, misses the whole year. And then if that's not enough, in December of that year, he's diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. And so, um, you know, he just makes a vow publicly says, "I'm going to beat this. I'm going to be back." and just got a standing ovation when he took the field at, at Heinz Field this Saturday and a win over Villanova, had two touchdowns. And I mean, you think about a kid overcoming cancer, um, you know, three or four months after being cancer free, uh, came out, took the field and had a great game, scored two touchdowns, just an incredible, incredible story. Uh, and then the final one just around presence, you know, one of the things that I believe about leadership is that a leader's presence, um, a leader's legacy is really that legacy is defined by their presence and their absence, their presence in their absence, after they're gone, what kind of mark have they made. And uh, sadly, we lost, uh, college football lost a young man named Sam Fultz, who was a punter uh, in Nebraska, heading into the end of his career. He was an instructor at a Coles kicking camp, which is a nationally known camp in Wisconsin, and, and died in a tragic car accident. And um, boy, just taking the field in that first fourth down of the game against Fresno State without a punter, um, I just I, I cried my eyes out. I mean, it was an incredible uh, scene to see the standing ovation, to see them take the field with 10, and then in even classier fashion, Fresno State declined the penalty. And it was just a really cool moment um, to see them honor their fallen hero. And I think it really showed the impact that he had beyond the game. And, and that was really the point of the post, is that you know there's so much more than just what takes place in the field. And that's what we are trying to stress at Next Level and, and stress with all of our athletes that we have the pleasure of working with and training, is that you know, you're know you a person beyond the game. You have gifts and talents. And, and I think those three stories really exemplified um, what's good and right in
1: college football. You do a great deal of public speaking and you find yourself in front of church groups and youth groups all the time. How are some of those leadership lessons which we learn in sports, how are they able to be applied to our own personal walks with Christ?
0: That's such a great question. You know I think um, one of the things that, that I see in, in terms of a team environment and when kids are competing as a student athlete is, is so often Um, the world of sports and the world of achievement uh, encourage us and tell us that it's all about ourselves, that that we need to get the stats, we need to get the scholarship, we need to be the starter, we need to achieve these things. And it's it's even further driven by our media and by our social media and um, this sense of you know notoriety and accomplishment that all athletes um, feel this, I think, pressure to pursue. And and rather when we take a backseat to God's will for our lives and we take a backseat to the goals of our coaches, of our team, um, and those type of things and really put that first, and make it an objective to fill a role. I think Tyrone um, Swoops is a great example of that in the sense that, you know, he could have transferred easily and probably gone and, and went and played somewhere else. And he the willingness to ride it out, accept and own his role, and put the team ahead of him uh, himself and his personal objectives is just a tremendous example of some of the lessons we can learn in, in sports. But really they apply in the workplace. They apply in our families. I think about, you know, so often the teammates you play with. Um, you have respect. You have friendships with many of those in a a given team, a given locker room, but you didn't necessarily choose them. And I think you you enter the workplace and you enter uh, into the world that we live in, and you wouldn't necessarily choose to work with some of your coworkers or live by some of your neighbors, but there's this element of love and compassion and trust um, that that we want to have with other people in our lives and in our our walk with with Christ because we seek to make an impact on them. And I think that um, all these lessons and more, overcoming adversity, overcoming challenges, mental toughness, Serving others, making a difference with the platform athletics provides. The, end, the lessons are endless that we can learn um, from the game that we play, whether it be football or another sport. And so I'm just very passionate about sharing that, that reality and that perspective with student-athletes and helping them to see that, you know, someday the game's going to end. And when it does, you're well-equipped to, to do life well, to live your faith well, um, to make a difference in the world using your other gifts and talents. And you're in a better position because you were an athlete. Um, and so we really want to just focus in on that and, and help kids understand that
1: that's good stuff Tim always so good to talk to with you my friend how can we pray for you
0: oh thank you I always in the need of prayer and uh, you know I think lately uh, the Lord has, has been so good but it really in the, in a busy season of life we have we've been blessed my wife Rochelle and I have a 15 month old at home and um, a lot going on at you know work professionally and some of these opportunities that uh, you've aforementioned and it's a blessing but also just just I would ask for prayer for strength to be a, a great dad a great husband and um, to keep God first and, and family a close second um, before some of these endeavors, it's it's challenging sometimes and, and, and hard work to, to preserve that, but it's so important, and um, I just appreciate your prayer in that, and always a pleasure to be on the show.
1: You can find out more about Tim, timhiller.com. Follow him on Twitter, at TimHiller3. Read the book, Strive, Life is Short, Pursue What Matters. He's the co-owner of Next Level Performance, a former NFL quarterback, and just a friend of the program, Tim Thanks again for coming on with us this morning.
0: My pleasure, Rick. Take care.
1: we still got more to do coming up after the break. I hope you'll stick around. I'm Rick Benson. You're listening to Beyond the Game, brought to you by Town & Country.
2: Test Solutions. When I have a home remodeling project, whether interior or exterior, I call McAfee's Remodeling Company. Family-owned for nearly two decades, McAfee's Remodeling Company is the name I trust. Mike McAfee put a new bathroom into my house three years ago, and I'm still getting compliments on it every time someone comes over to visit. Mike and his crew are experienced and professional, and you'll be thrilled with their work. So give McAfee's Remodeling Company a call today at 402-1070. That's 402-1070. Or visit them online at McAfeeRemodeling.com. Space, a
3: final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise, its five-year mission, to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before.
1: Fifty years, fifty years ago, Star Trek debuted the original series.
3: And nerds everywhere have been losing their minds since
1: it was only. It only ran three years, but in syndication, just took off. A mm-hmm. hey, movie after movie, more movies, and then even more movies. Do you have a favorite? Is the original your favorite, or is one of the reboots maybe your
2: favorite? To be honest, I was never a big Star Trek fan. I go to see the new movies.
1: So, why are we doing this segment? <laughs>
2: Fifty Years is impressive. My big appreciation for Star Trek is that none of the other movies or TV shows of that genre would ever have existed if Star Trek didn't, you know, break that ground first. Like we wouldn't have Star Wars if there had never been Star Trek. So for that I'm thankful. My if I had to pick one, it would probably be the movie with the original cast where they introduced Khan. Oh, that one was pretty great.
1: I love the original series and I love the movies. Anyway, let's get some things done here, fellas. Cover a few different topics. We'll get into this week's shenanigans. If you're new to the show, Zach's going to make a statement. We're going to go around the room and give a brief explanation on why we either agree or we'll call shenanigans on that statement. So warp speed ahead, Mr. Barletta. Oh, <laughs>
2: All right, number one, this week marked the 21st anniversary of Cal Ripken Jr. breaking Lou Gehrig's record by playing in his 2,131st consecutive game. Truth or shenanigans, this is the most impressive record in sports.
1: I say shenanigans. In my opinion, the uh, the record is made slightly less impressive because, again, in my opinion, it was kept going at times for the sake of the streak. Uh, there were times when Ripken probably ought not to have been in the lineup, yet he played... Anyhow, just to keep the streak going. And I don't want to make him sound like he's selfish. I don't know that it was his decision, the manager's decision, because after all, who's going to make the choice to sit him and end the streak? Maybe it even came from the owner's box. I don't know. I just thought there were times he probably shouldn't have played. But uh, it is an impressive streak nonetheless. And, but for me, the most impressive streak, 56 straight games of hitting a baseball <laughs> The probability and difficulty of that is just implausible to me.
3: Yeah, That's that, a huge one. That is incredible. I actually disagree with Benson. I say truth that it is, but not just because he played in that many straight games. And, yes, agreeing with Benson, there were times he's slumping, he's having he's having a bad time at the plate or whatever, he probably shouldn't have been out there. But for the most part, to play in that many consecutive games, you have to continue to produce, especially in something like sports, where it's what have you done for me lately. So, to play in over 2,000 straight games, he had to be mostly very, very productive out there, and that is impressive.
2: I agree as well. This is one of those handful of records that we all can agree are unbreakable, will never be broken. And uh, it is...
1: There's no record. You'll never anymore. say, it.
2: There just never isn't say it. it. Every record is eventually broken. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing is, like with this one, most managers now, especially with their star players like Gripkin, they get a day off every week. You know, or a every point. two weeks, like got a point. N- no one even plays 162 games anymore. But the but, games change,
1: and in 20 yeah, years, the the mindset might be different.
2: That's that's true. We'll see. But in a sport where you play basically every day for half of the calendar year, to do what he did is to me the most impressive. His streak ran from May 30th, 1982, to September 19th, 1998, which is almost 16 and a half years without missing a single game. So, like. If you were born the day the streak started, you'd be driving a car by the end of it. Like, that just, to me, just blows my mind.
1: I haven't missed lunch in that same time
2: period. (laughs) That's even more impressive. Aaron Judge's prolonged slump is an indication that he's not ready for the major leagues and the Yankees should bench him.
3: Shenanigans. He's a young player going through a slump in baseball, which everybody says will happen. You're going to slump in baseball. You you cannot get around it. You're going to just go bad at the plate for no reason at all. Let him go. Let him figure it out. He's ready for the big leagues. He's just in a minor slump. Well, major slump, but he, he's in a slump right now. it will be fine. I say shenanigans as well. He's clearly not 100% ready. He's striking
2: out a ton. But he showed that he pretty much had figured out AAA, didn't have much left to learn there, and better to let him struggle and be exposed to Major League pitching now so he's ready to be the everyday right fielder next season.
1: I agree with you guys shenanigans on the statement. The league's going to learn how to pitch to him, and they have, and uh, he'll need the playing time to make the adjustments to adapt to how they're handling him, but, you know, listen, uh, the Yankees do need to be aware of uh, young players' confidence. They want to avoid letting him get to the point where he's beaten mentally,
2: but... There's only one way you get out of a slump. Truth or shenanigans, you like seeing the two teams from last year's Super Bowl face off again in the season-opening Thursday night game.
1: I agree. I, I'm sure there's any number of ways you can determine who plays on opening night, but th- taking the previous two champions, I like it.
3: Yeah, I, I agree as well. I, I actually couldn't think of a better scenario, and I can't believe this is a first for the NFL, I feel like they should do this every year. It, it's fun. It's it's got my attention. Not only is it Week One of the NFL, but I mean, it's it's a rematch of the Super Bowl. Who wouldn't want that? I say shenanigans, and that was kind of what inspired the question.
2: But I, for one thing, like when you have been waiting so long for football, for me, the last thing I want to see is the exact two teams that played in the last game that I watched. And when it's two teams like the Broncos and Panthers, the last
1: game was. In- <laughs> February. Well, yeah, yeah but
2: <laughs> but they're also two teams that everyone has been talking about in the media nonstop, and I'm just tired of hearing about them. I would rather throw darts at a list of teams and choose the two teams of the darts, than have to watch these two teams play again. So shenanigans. You know what? I misinterpreted your question. Then you said the la- the two teams from last year's Super Bowl.
1: See, I I like taking the winner of the of the previous two Super Bowls. And they did that for a while. So your last two champions, and I thought that's what you were asking. So it would be Broncos-Patriots
3: then yeah, if we did that's that. That's what
1: I want to see. I want to oh, see okay. the last two Super Bowl champions I like play. the Super
3: Bowl rematch. It's fine with Who cares what you me. like? <laughs> this was a conversation with Zach and I. So my question is, did you guys watch the game Thursday night? Yes.
2: In, in our BTG studios. Sam Bradford, truth or shenanigans, can get the Vikings to the playoffs. What do you think, Zach? I say shenanigans, and that's not to say that the Vikings can't make the playoffs, because I think that they can. But they would be carrying Bradford along for the ride, much like the Broncos did with the carcass of Peyton Manning last season. What what Sam Bradford's going to have to do, and the reason that what they gave up was such a big overpay, is that all he's got to do is hand off to Adrian Peterson, convert a few passes on third down, and not turn the ball over. And that's not getting a team to the
3: playoffs. That's just not sucking. I actually say truth. They're going to get to the playoffs with Sam Bradford. I actually think they can get to the playoffs with Sean Hill. They have that good of a running back, and the and the rest of the team, the division winners from last year, are very good. I don't think losing Teddy Bridgewater is as big a deal as everyone is saying. Yes, he was a young, developing quarterback, but I think they're going to be just fine.
1: It's a pretty big deal when it comes at this point of the season. True, and getting prepared for the season with him as your quarterback. Now, I think Sam Bradford is going to be. I think he's going to excel here with, with the Vikings. I mean, other than his less than impressive numbers and it's a performance on the field, I don't know why people are so down on Sam Bradford. What's wrong <laughs> with you people? Or his porcelain knees. Now, listen, I like the upside of Bradford. I still think he could be somebody's starting quarterback. I mean, maybe at some point i got to stop thinking that, but <laughs> the Vikings have a lot of talent. I don't think they need to win with their quarterback play. Now, Bradford can play better than just... You know, as you were saying, Zach, doing enough not to lose. You know, I, I think he can play better than that. And listen, Trent Delfer won a Super Bowl. That means Zach Barletta could win a Super Bowl. <laughs> you heard and, it here and first. Zach could win it. Then <laughs> Sam Bradford can win a well, Super Bowl. Well, that's kind
2: of the point I was making too. With Darren brought up, Teddy Bridgewater. It's not like Teddy Bridgewater was Brett Favre. You know, Teddy Bridgewater was conservative game manager, just like they're going to ask Bradford to be. There's not much difference to me.
1: When we come back, we're going to talk with Sarah McClellan. We're going to talk a little soccer with her. She's with Roberts Wesleyan College. You're listening to Beyond the Game, brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions.
3: title sponsor beyond the game is town and country pest solutions and they have been for the two plus years the show's been on the air but that is nothing compared to the nearly 30 years of renting your homes and businesses of unwelcome pests and i'm not just here reading a commercial script for them i am a happy and satisfied customer they have taken care of a mouse bee ant and even fly problem for me yes my house is old and falling apart and i get all sorts of critters but unlike swimmers not named michael phelps they have an answer to beat their competition and rid your home of pest problems they are a gold medal caliber company was that lame yes i admit it and i kind of hate myself for saying it but i don't hate myself for calling town and country pest solutions they really are the best and they guarantee their work Did I mention they're the best? So save yourself more of a headache and money and call them first. Don't waste your time on other companies. Town & Country will do it right the first time, every time. So give them a call today at 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. One more time because someone decided that 3 is the magic number, 585-426-5024. Or visit them online at townandcountrysolutions.com. Town & Country Pest Solutions. They fear nothing but God.
1: The head coach of the women's soccer team at Roberts Wesleyan College is Sarah McClellan. She joins us now on the BTG studio line. Thanks for coming on the program, Coach McClellan. We appreciate your time.
4: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: In your first season with the team, you take over a program which has posted six consecutive winning seasons and last year made their first ever trip to the D2 National Championships. Do you feel any extra pressure to keep that string of success going?
4: well that's a great great question and um you know it's one of the things that in, enticed me to to look at roberts uh to become the coach here um as far as extra pressure not really i don't um of course i want success but i'm not out to prove myself i'm, I'm here to build our program and uh, i i Feel like i've had a lot of experience in building programs and um, i'm really fortunate and excited to to get our program back into that level of uh, championship caliber success
1: let's talk a little bit about this year's squad bella Matrevsky is back for her senior year after scoring 18 goals last year But you've lost Brittany Houghton and the 11 goals she supplied from a year ago. Now, obviously, Bella will be relied on greatly. But how do you replace Houghton's offense? And who are you counting on other than Bella to lead this year's squad?
4: It's tough. I mean, um, we really do rely a ton on Bella. And she's getting double and triple teamed. So uh, we are still a work in progress on the offensive end. We've got a lot of young players, uh, freshmen that we're trying to train and the first thing we needed to address in the beginning of the season was to shore up our defense and I think um, they're doing a pretty good job. I mean, we've held our teams to to low uh, goals, but now we need to find confidence and find some rhythm in our attack. Um, Bella's going to be huge in that because she can be uh, both the playmaker and the finisher Uh, and I think once she gets rolling once she gets a couple goals um, under her belt for this season I think she's gonna just be unstoppable and by then we're gonna have some other players who are creating some chances and, and and showing some threats to hopefully open things up.
1: You're also having to work in a new goalkeeper this year Kelsey Brinkle out of Aquinas. She made nine saves in the opener against LeMoyne. In the second game, the defense seemed to step it up a little bit, and against Wilmington, she only had to make two. Each of those games was a tough luck, one nothing loss. How important is it for a freshman goalkeeper to play well early in the season and build the team's confidence as well as her own?
4: Yeah, I think um, the goalkeeping position in itself is one of the toughest positions. Um, you, you're kind of out there by yourself, and uh, any mistake that you make is uh, there's an immediate consequence. It's it's a goal, <laughs> so everyone else on the field gets to make mistakes and still recover from mistakes. But um, for goalkeepers, it's, it's tricky. And to be a freshman goalkeeper, um, I have a, a tremendous amount of respect for Kelsey. The way that she's come in, um, she's very coachable. She's doing great. Um, I think she's ahead of schedule of where where we planned on her. Um, so she's going to continue to improve as the season goes on and as she gets more experience. Um, we've got, uh, you know, we have another goalkeeper as well, Ashley Exner. And I'll tell you, the two of them just have great training attitudes. And Marissa uh, Sell, our goalkeeper coach, is doing an excellent job with them. So I feel really good about the direction we're headed uh, with our goalkeepers this season.
1: As I mentioned, the first two games of the season were both tough luck, you know, one nothing losses. You felt the team played too tentatively in the opener. Have you seen improvement since, and are you pleased with where the team is at?
4: Yeah, you know, that first game um, I just don't think was indicative of the attitude that we want to play with um, and the confidence that we want to play with. Um, sometimes you have to fake it till you make it and, um, but then in the second game I felt like we improved tremendously in um, both our speed of play, our possession and, um, and our competitive spirit. I thought that we really took it to Wilmington and were a little bit unlucky with the result um, but I was really pleased with the improvement.
1: We're talking with Sarah McClellan, head women's soccer coach at Roberts Wesleyan College. Coach Brinkell is just one of a bunch of freshmen on the team, as you mentioned already. Being it's your first year at Roberts, how much were you able to be involved in recruiting the team? And does that create any additional struggles in connecting with the players?
4: Yeah, I think, you know, my first um, priority, I guess, when I took the position was to connect with each of the players and um, you know, if I could uh, try to get to see them play over the summer um, Skype with them email with them and just really get to know them because it's a, it's a two way street um, I've got to get to know them and I want them to feel comfortable knowing that I have their backs and that even though I didn't recruit them they're now my players and, and that's what I consider them to be um, we've got a great group of kids I'm I'm thoroughly enjoying working with them. They they all have a great spirit, great attitudes. Um, they're working hard. We have we have a lot of work to do still, um, but uh, you know that's always tough. And I and I understand it from a from a player standpoint as well of of getting a new coach in that has different expectations and. Um, it can be a, a little bit of uh, some anxiousness there, and I think we got that out of us in preseason and, and really um, have great chemistry right now as a team. So I'm, I'm hoping that we can continue that.
1: Now you come to Roberts after eight seasons at Binghamton where you guided successful teams at the D1 level. Do you think there are things which are going to need to be done differently at D2 to have that same kind of success?
4: Uh, it's a good question. I think, um, you know, I don't think there's really that many areas that uh, I'm going to to change. Although I I want to bring that level of um, quality in our play and that technical ability and uh, the fitness emphasis to our to our team here. And I told. I've told our players many times that I'm not going to change uh, really how, what my expectations are for my players, um, regardless of, you know, okay, we're now, we're Division II, um, I'm still going to to try to get the most out of them and I'll work harder to help them get there and then I expect them to to work harder so that we can rise to the to the level and and rise to
1: the occasion your players at binghamton not only enjoyed great success on the field but you have a reputation for leading players who excel in the classroom i think i read that all of your teams have maintained a team gpa of 3.0 or higher obviously academic success is important to you How as a coach are you able to encourage and influence your players to that end
4: it's so important to me. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I work in higher education. I love working with student athletes. And um, and that's the student part of the athlete. So I'm not just their coach. I feel like I am their mentor. I am the person that needs to support them in every area um, while they're here in college and also when they're alumni, but um, so I put a great emphasis on academic success and using all the resources that the campus offers academically. Um, we talk about time management as a team, and uh, I meet with the freshmen um, to make sure that they're uh, staying on top of things and, and troubleshooting any any needs that they might need to, uh, to work a little bit harder or use some other resources in their schedules for their classes, so um, I like to check in with our our girls academically, and just like on the field, I want us to excel and continue to improve and and use every opportunity uh, and every resource to get better. I want the same to to be the case academically and and even in the community and their social lives.
1: Once again, we're talking with Sarah McClellan. She's the head coach of the women's soccer team at Roberts Wesleyan College. Coach, I've heard from some that you have a tremendous faith in Christ and a strong walk with Him. Would you mind sharing with us your faith story? How and when did you become a believer in Jesus?
4: Well, I was I was really lucky to grow up in a Christian home um, and a really supportive family. Um, I was I'm the youngest of three, and so I invited Jesus into my heart early on, um, and you know grew up in the church. However, I've always felt just this um, this most pure connection with with Jesus and with God and with um, the talents that he's given me when I'm on the soccer field. And so I've always merged uh, God and soccer. And I would not be where I am without the gifts that he's given me. And um, it's crazy to think of... of even how I've gotten into coaching, it's not something I planned on doing. Uh, Soccer-wise, the, the level that I was able to achieve was um, really all, all God. And I feel that I want to now, as a coach, um, share both my love for soccer and my passion for the game and for improving in the game. Um, and as a lifelong student, I also want to share that, um, simultaneously with my, my love for Jesus and that our walk with Christ is also a a lifelong journey, um, that is going to be some ups and some downs. And just like I always have my players back, God's always got our back. And so that's, um, really just the merging of being able to be able to, uh, Mentor and share with my players and, and be an example, the best example I can be um, on the soccer side and on my faith side. It's awesome to be able to do that at Roberts, and that's another reason uh, that I chose to come here and coach.
1: Coach, are there things that we can keep in prayer for you?
4: I think just really uh, that I can continue to just be a positive influence and um, encouragement and and a a strong leader for my players um to be a a good example and and witness to the team and and for me to continue to learn from my players as well um because i want to continue to grow as a coach
1: she's sarah mcclellan head coach of the women's soccer team at roberts wesleyan college i want to thank you coach for joining us and wish you all the best with the season ahead
4: Thank you so much. I appreciate
1: it. That's Sarah McClellan, head coach of the women's soccer team at Roberts Wesleyan College. Title sponsor of the Beyond the Game program is Town & Country Pest Solutions. TownandCountrySolutions.com Fearing Nothing But God. Titus three two says to speak evil of no one, avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. We're going to go around the room and see who has some praise for something good they saw in sports this week. Now, I don't know that here in the Northeast, if we really experience how much a community's pride is taken in its high school football team. I know there's pockets of people who are passionate about high school football, but usually that tends to be your smaller, more rural communities. But the community of Palo Cedro, California, can be especially proud of the young men on their local football team. Last Friday, as the team came onto the field before a game, each of the players gave an orange rose to cheerleader Ashley Adamitz. Who last month was diagnosed with leukemia the color orange represents leukemia awareness the young lady who has been going through daily chemotherapy treatment had no clue that the players were going to do this and was as you would expect very moved by the gesture nice job by the players and staff of foothill high school football you've done your community proud and you're what i like this
3: week
4: you like that you like
3: that uh, what I like this week is a very easy one. It was the uh, tribute to Sam Foltz. The uh, the Cornhuskers lined up with 10 players, um, remembering their late, now absent punter. I thought that was just very classy. I loved what they did. And then, uh, taking it a step further, Fresno State showing nothing but class, and they declined the penalty, and then the game continued on. I thought that was just classy all the way around. It was really nice to see, and uh, yeah, I liked it.
4: You like that?
3: You like that? What I liked this week was the Yankees come from behind victory
2: over the Blue Jays on Wednesday. A few weeks ago, we said they had no shot at the playoffs, but their young players are leading the way and making a serious run at it. Guys like Didi Gregorius hitting cleanup. Even if they do what we expect them to do and fall short, it's a great learning experience for these kids being in the pressure of a playoff chase. So in a year or two, when they're really ready to contend, they'll know what it's like.
3: You like that? You like that?
2: Thanks for listening to the Beyond the Game program.
1: Beyond the Game has been brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. TownandCountrySolutions.com or give them a call. 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. Tell them Benson sent you. For those guys, I'm Rick Benson. Lord willing, we'll be back together again next week, right here at this same time. Have a great week, everybody.